0: I'm the person who has to do all the product thinking and it's everybody else's job to execute the product thinking I come up with.
1: And that's where you get into like a system where the producer is actually
0: subordinate to the creative director. We've seen this a lot. This podcast is really an advocacy for how do you integrate good product thinking and understand the responsibilities that need to be fulfilled and then figure out how to build a leadership team that fulfills those responsibilities.
1: The creative director can't just be designing with the design team all. They have to be like out there with the team, keeping their finger on the pulse. Have you witnessed friction between creative and production? Have you ever wondered why studios often fall into the do everything development approach? Have you felt like teams were being fed work like a machine, but not sure if that work mattered? We're going to dive into the traditional model of creative director and executive producer as a frame for a bigger question. How does the creative flow gracefully into execution? We've worked with many studios and often seen friction between creative and production. Why is this a problem that comes up so often? Is it the roles? Is it the system? We're gonna break it down and give you some key tips you can use to resolve these issues at your game studio. You're listening to Building Better Games where we show industry leaders a better way to make games that players love. Your hosts are Benjamin Karsich and Aaron Smith. We've spent over a decade shipping some of the biggest games in the world. We've also helped game studios around the world improve their approach to building great games. Our mission is simple, help you ship better games with less work and fight back against the dysfunctional systems that frustrate us around the world. Well, let's get into this. So, the backdrop of this is a couple of things. Uh, We, have run into the model of a team or a division or group of teams that has a creative director role. So typically this is somebody in design or somebody who's actually a, a creative director by profession, maybe has some design and production experience combined and also a producer that is either working with them, partnered with them, subordinate to them, however the system works at a given studio. And we found some patterns that emerge uh, with, the, with the way that those roles are set up and some common pitfalls and traps. And so the first thing we want to do is kick this conversation off by talking about what we've seen. Because one of the things that I find interesting is, you know, I just made a LinkedIn post about this yesterday. And I, I knew I was – it's funny, whenever I make a post – Even as I'm writing it, I can sort of feel how much of a grenade I'm about to throw into the room. And I've found one of the things I've reflected on that's really interesting is sometimes as I realize I'm about to throw a grenade in the room, like the thing I'm writing about I know is going to be controversial. When I actually like take a step back and ask myself why it's controversial, it feels really weird. I'm like, why is that like a sacred cow? And the topic was the role of creative director and the role of executive producer and how they interact and some of the patterns we've seen in the way they interact. Because that is a very, I I called it a legacy model and people were like, ah, that's not a model. And I'm like, yes, it is. Like that's, game studios have been doing that for decades. And like, I personally don't find that model to be incredibly deliberate. I like, I think it's more fair to call those two roles partnering, partnering together on a game project, more of a legacy approach than it is like we've really broken this down and thought this through. And obviously this is the right way to make games. Yeah.
0: I think there's, there's like this tradition element to it and it doesn't mean it's good or bad, but it certainly is something that many places and many games <laughs> inherit when they think about spinning up a new for game sure. or, you know, for spinning up a new R and D products like, well, who's going to be the creative direction. Okay. Do we have an executive producer and, um, The challenge. By the way, and I,
1: I just want to be clear that in no way is that like I think from either of us implies that that is a bad thing. No, I think it's just I think I think perhaps we would challenge the level of deliberateness around that model. See
0: that I think that's where because um, especially with how often different titles are thrown around, like. You've got um, studio head. You might have a production director. You might have some companies that are more startup. You might have like a COO and a CCO, and um, but all these things. There's this. There's this underlying pattern that looks like one person is thinking about the game and the vision of the game and what you can do in the game and what the game is going to look like and all these different things. And we're broadly calling that creative director, even though sometimes that has different titles, you know, sometimes design director or something like that. But, um, on the other side, you have this person who's more operationally oriented and they're thinking about the process and setting up the pieces and where all the people are sitting and all this different stuff. And that person is commonly called the executive producer. Aaron and I have both worked on projects where that actually wasn't the split. An executive producer role existed, but it didn't have that set of responsibilities and vice versa on the other side of things. Um, So it's not – we're not calling out that like, again, any particular role or title is bad. What we're calling out is that this bifurcation of creative leadership living on one person's shoulders and operational – leadership landing on someone else's shoulders, and this being a good, healthy pairing in and of itself, I think that's a legacy thing. That's a tradition. It can work. It it can work well. But the oversimplification of that into the creative and the operational leads to some problems.
1: In a second, I think we will go into some of the actual situations we've seen. But I just had a little bit of light bulb, Micah. What are the sort of like... Again, principled assumptions that I am like, no, I look at it. I'm like, no, that's not, that is incorrect. One of them actually is the idea. And I think you touched on this a second ago, the idea that operations fundamentally represent something that is more downstream than the idea or the creative part. So, so, and I, it's funny because when I made the LinkedIn plo- post, I was like, I feel like the way that these roles are typically applied to game development implies a level of linearity. And what I mean by that is, is like stuff goes one way, like a designer has an idea, they make a design document, they hand it to the producer, the producer gets it done, and then we move to the next thing. So what? So in other words, there's not necessarily a loop there, right? And and I think that is fundamentally not something you and I agree with. Like we 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 would always default to a loop unless there was a strong case for a linear approach. And so uh again, I, I think a lot of people felt frustrated by that. They're like, it doesn't imply linearity. Like, I don't see that at all. And I'm like it maybe it doesn't at face value but more often than not when i see those two roles interact when and i'll be honest most of the time it's not working great um i see there there's linearity baked into it so then again there's this idea that well production is the thing that comes after operations is the thing that comes after the the and this is leads into the second assumption which is the not just the design part but also sub low key or subconsciously or whatever, the more important part. And that's where you get into like a system where the producer is actually subordinate to the creative director. We've seen this a lot. And this is one where I'm like, how can you stand on two feet and tell me that this model's so great and it, you know, it, it, of course it's awesome and it's not these bad things. And I'm like, maybe it's not, or it shouldn't be. But so more often than not, I see that it is one of the most common versions of the bad Face of this is when the producer is literally like almost reporting into the creative director. And, the, and then the producer's like, well, I think to, to achieve good operational excellence, we should organize the team like this. And it's like the creative director is like rubber stamping that. And I'm like, what? So again, there's this idea that operations as a concept is subordinate to ideation, subordinate to 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 the creative direction. Now, I'm going to I want to
0: throw a grenade into the podcast. Okay. All right. So, here's my grenade. If you hired on the what we're calling the producer side, the operational side, yeah. someone who thinks that what that role entails is basically like Pimbok project management, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like spreadsheet, spreadsheet Jira, like I make sure the teams, you know, get coffee while they're crunching and stuff, whatever, you know, whatever this is. But it's like I am I am basically my job is I look at risks and I roadmap out and I do my dependency tracking and I report all that to all the right people. And if you are in that world, if that's who you've hired, it actually makes sense for that project manager to be subordinate Effectively, a project manager be to be subordinate to the creative direction.
1: One one hundred percent, actually, and I think it is that's a chicken and the egg problem. Yeah, one hundred percent, because we, you, and I have also seen baby producers being reared up in an entrenched environment like the one I just described, where they are being trained to be project managers to to uh, internalize that their role is just basically hyper tactical. Taking notes, scheduling meetings, doc, like I'm a I'm uh, I'm yeah. a helpy road helper, maps, predictability person.
0: risk management. Oh, oh my
1: gosh, that's the senior producer, right? right like, right, yeah. If you're getting into roadmaps and like advanced execution, you're a senior producer or perhaps even a development director, right? Like, so so that's what's so interesting, and I I think yeah, I think yes, we hire producers that don't have the capability. To be strategic, they don't have the training to lead. And so they naturally fall, they fall gracefully into the support and role. Or we also teach them that that's, we incentivize them to be that person. Yes, yes. Through the Your system. job so is to make those, sure we
0: get all yes. the X stuff done before Y milestone.
1: Um, and by the way, I, I don't, this could easily come off like, oh, well, the, the creative director is the big bad wolf the person who you know perhaps is uh, unskilled in their ability to lead yet has all the power. Like, I I don't see it that way. I've actually seen this. I've actually, in many cases, find myself cozying up more to and, and feeling more connected to the creative director in these situations than the producer. But
0: I, I think the reason that's happening is because the thing you're gravitating towards there is the actual, what's well, player impact it's the necessity of leadership via vision. And I think this is one of the challenges is, like, like you said, if everybody that coming into the system on the producer side, right, on the operations side, just thinks that their job is I'm going to be an operational leader. And that means, yeah, scheduling the meetings, taking the notes, figuring out the roadmaps, all these things. These are not people independently figuring out where should we be going and why they like by definition project managers take someone else's vision and they're like okay let me get the pieces in order by the way look at film i don't know as much about it as you do but like the split between the producers and the directors there seems to fall into a similar set of buckets And one is like, what is the producer? Do I get the resources and I make sure you have everything you need? And then it's your job to do the creative vision around direction, you know, and and we we look at those roles differently because they are doing a fundamentally different thing. And your and my take, I would say broadly, is that when you have someone operating in a senior place, if you're at the highest level of a game development team, whether it's an R&D product or a a giant ongoing like live service, like a Call of Duty or something like that, and you're the producer and you think that you don't really have to lead outside of just making sure all the systems work and making sure that X things get done by Y milestone, I think that's a huge missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I think the other reason I end up feeling more resonance with those creatives is because um, I think because of all the reasons we just mentioned and and much similar to what you just said, it is not uncommon for me to have a conversation with the producer where I'm trying to explain to them that I want more from them and how they engage with the team and how they engage with the
0: product. One, one of the things that I've said, and I come from a very culturally- Oriented process style background where I am more on the operations side, and how are we going to get this group of people to work effectively together to deliver real things that matter? um, Is that if I could get everybody on my team a new sort of way of thinking, it would be product thinking. Because if everybody's thinking, in a product way, if everybody like, you know, your engineers are able to put on a product hat and your artists are able to put on a product hat and your, your producers are able to put on a product hat and you're, you know, everybody's able to go like, well, wait a minute. What does this mean for the game, for the audience, for the experience we're trying to create? And how is that something that's good or bad? And if I don't know that, how do I find out, right? That sort of product thinking lens is something I want everybody to have more of. And I think often when we see these splits uh, in the unhealthy way, it's almost as if, no, the person on the creative side, be they the creative director, design director, et cetera, they are far more in the place of, I'm the person who has to do all the product thinking, and it's everybody else's job to execute the product thinking I come up with. Then it is, yes, let me... Uh, let me, you know, recognize that product thinking is part of my core responsibility, but also that like, I want to share that with you all because there, there's an operational reality that is going to feed back in to the product outcome. I want to take a quick break from the podcast. Over the last few years, producers have been asking Aaron and I, what's my role? What are the skills I should develop? How do I advance in my career? Game production is in a rough state. We're launching a course to help. It's called succeeding in game production. What you are not taught early feedback from our beta testers has been overwhelmingly positive. So we're moving into early access. If that of interest, check it out in the show notes or head to buildingbettergames.gg and click course. Thanks. Let's get back to the podcast. I
1: find that producers are often more entrenched in a rather vanilla version of their role than creative directors are, and and it's interesting to note also that I have seen many more different shapes of creative director commonly employed at game studios than I have producers. Like I've actually been shocked to see how narrow the job of production often is. And how consistently narrow it often is. But when I think about the creative director, it's like, well, sometimes it's the CEO who was the person who built the product from scratch with two engineers before they scaled the studio. Um, or sometimes it was the the C- CEO who used to be the modder that made the mod before they now opened their new indie studio. Sometimes it's the just the most senior designer at the company. Sometimes it's somebody who has like design director experience, who's like run many, many groups under from a design perspective under a design umbrella, but is really like a dyed in the wool designer. Like so they may not have strategic skills, but they may have design problem solving skills. So there's actually like now that I think about it, we've run into many different shapes of that role. And that, I think, is part of where some of my cynicism comes in as well. Um, it's like all those people I've met are incredibly good at their jobs in, in different ways, but that there's less consistency there. And so I think when you when you put that person at the top of an organization, it's like and just call them the creative director. Do you even necessarily know what you're going to get out of that? Yes. Like you're when you're, this, you're, and you're, this, you're putting them as captain of the ship, you know, when
0: this comes down to the the roles conversation, like the responsibilities versus the roles. Because if you have, you know, let's say you've gone with this fairly standard model of the two-headed leadership team to some extent, right, where one's more operationally focused and one's more creative and there may be some hierarchy. By the way, I know that there's places where the hierarchy goes the other way. And actually the executive producer, the operational side is the one that holds final sway over everything. And the creative director feels almost they feel stuck inside of a system that is filled with deadlines and uh, only so much time and I have to hit this milestone, so make sure you don't try to create too much work for the team and, oh, no, now we're late and all these different things. And so that also can be a broken – it can break both ways. I think it's more common to see the creative director being the one that is perceived as senior. And I think, unfortunately, what I consider uh, much healthier, the, the sort of peer relationship between those two is the least common. When you look at those – As these are the two roles that we have, I immediately start asking questions around like, okay, cool. Well, are those two roles sufficient to fulfill the responsibilities that we expect from that layer of leadership? And Sometimes I think the answer is yes. And so people that might have responded to your post and said, what are you talking about? I've been like the creative director in a CDEP partnership, or I've been the executive producer in the CDEP partnership, and it's gone great, right? It worked really well. We made a great game. Everything worked really well. And I think that's totally possible. My guess is that because of the somewhat nebulous and amoebic Venn diagram that occurs, you happen to have two people who covered all the critical responsibilities. I think a good
1: way of saying that is like, hey, congratulations, you did this well, despite the limitations that I feel like often come packaged with this. Um, And by the way, it's interesting to note that a handful of the people uh, who are highly credible, I think, that came in and were like, hey, I don't agree with this. I see this as a partnership and that immediately resonated with me because i'm like so you're you so you're, you've leaned into a highly effective relationship that apply, implies a level of trust implies a level of negotiation implies a level of getting each other's backs when things are tough and sharing responsibility and uh, all these things you can sidestep any roles issue any any development issue by having enough of that. So that's a beautiful thing. And when, and I, I told them, I was like, that's great. Like if you if you really view this as a partnership, I think you're ahead of the curve. And, and actually, and by the way, one of my counterpoints again was like, well, it's hard to really have a true partnership when one person like reports into the other. Like, I don't I don't care what you say. I've seen so many variations of that. And I think that that just creates a dynamic that doesn't work. Um, If one person can effectively fire the other, like you're never really going to have like a a graceful, harmonious push-pull relationship. The second kind of key piece of this topic that you and I wanted to cover was um, how do we view development? Like how do we view um, the value stream? Like basically the way that actually great features and great games get made and how that relates to the roles. Um, And I think one of the things you and I uh, have preached a lot as we've gone out and taught and worked with studios is the idea of partnership. Like when I see the organization treating operations as subordinate to creative, or I like, or, uh, and a great example is like, um, uh, this, this, this is a micro example, but it's something we see a lot. So the creative director goes in and talks to the stakeholders and gives the pretty PowerPoint presentation that shows all the cool stuff we're going to do. There's not a single operator in the room to be found. The creative director goes, quote, unquote, back to the team, and then the EP is now engaged in the conversation. To me, that is not a partnership. And what that implies is that the accountability function between the stakeholders and the team is purely channeled through the creative. And, and so to me, there's a lot that's implied in that. But like one of the things we often will recommend to correct some of these problems That pop up during development, things like we don't prioritize or things like we're spending a ton of money and not making any progress or the team doesn't actually understand the goal is actually create more of a clean partnership between operations and creative. Like I want that producer and that creative director to be best friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think as that then applies into game development now we're going, okay, again, partner model. We're partners. There are a set of problems those we lead are facing. There are a set of opportunities that we want to unlock. How are we going to do that effectively? What things fall on your plate? What things fall on my plate? What things fall on both of our plates, right? As an example, I would say that uh, if you have cultural norms that you want to engage with, that should be on both of those leaders' plates. Um, And As we encounter problems, then there's this conversation of what's the best way for us to solve this with the team. Um, and not some sort of, again, I'm the project manager guy. So you just let me know what you need me to do and I'll go ahead and do it, but I'm not going to be kicking any feedback your way. I'm not going to be telling you how I think about that. I'm not going to be asking you tough questions about it. I'm just going to execute what you say. Um, I think our take is that the feedback loop comes into play where, yes, someone's going to have a vision for the game. Yes, that has to be operationalized. But then what ends up happening while it's being operationalized must be fed back to those creating the vision to allow it to be modified and improved over time as we learn from doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that idea is closely related to the concept of uh, product discovery is not the part where the creative director talks to a bunch of designers and then they make a bunch of decisions and then they write that in a design document. I think that, that again, that goes back to, this is, but people hear, probably would hear that and they'd be like, well, that's a lot like what our creative director and designers do. And I'm like, that's not what product discovery is. Product discovery cannot really truly be happening in earnest in the world we live in today until the team starts working. And so there's this question of, like, I've seen I've seen a lot of studios work in a model where the creative director builds a design document or builds a big Miro board with all the features of the game on it. And then the team just starts consuming that with the aid of production, breaking stuff down into backlogs and such. The team starts consuming that. And the only time the creative director gets back involved during development is when questions of clarity come up. Like, hey, what did you mean when you say like mining should be like X? Which, by the way,
0: is going to be all the time if you use this model.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but but and so that's not a bad thing. But I think that there, it should be a default expectation that. Whoever is sort of head of product is actively involved with the team throughout development because here's – so so it's not a bad thing if the team says, hey, I'm not sure what this actually means, and you say, oh, let me answer that for you. But that's not enough. There's another part where it's like you as the product lead actively engage with the team and you watch – the innovation and outcomes occurring as they're building, and you go, no, 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 less that, more that. You're micro-pivots all the time. Like, I want the product lead, quote unquote, role, to constantly be involved with the team throughout development, and by the way, this is something that I do not view as inherent in the creative director role, and that goes into the second main point. I wanna point out, the way Ben and I view healthy development, game development, is highly iterative, and, and, a, and with a product leader by role that is actively engaged during development, because a lot of the discovery about what the product is will occur while the team is building and immediately afterwards. And like Ben mentioned earlier, the outcome of that, of an iteration, whatever that is for you, will be reinvested back into the creative direction process. The learnings from that will be reinvested. If you're not doing that, you're leaving a massive amount of value on the table.
0: Earlier, you mentioned like the role of head of product or the role of a product lead, and stereotypically, more of that role falls into the create. If you're running the two the two leader model uh, with the creative director and the executive producer as sort of the creative side, the operational side, stereotypically that falls into the creative side of things, um, but I to your point, often when that happens uh, and a bunch of what we view as part of the product leadership role, like you said, collapses and just doesn't get done because the operational person is just doing their project management thing and their risks and their roadmaps and their milestones and making sure it all gets done and, you know, saying we need more people and, you know, whatever, like doing whatever they can to make sure that that all the features that were in the plan are accomplished by the right time. And, and then on the other side, you have this person who's breaking down those pieces and like, you know, handing them over as like, oh, this is another thing and put this in. Well, quarter, and by the way, know.
1: this is th- this is where some of my frustration came in when people are like, well, linearity isn't implied in this model. And I'm like, yes, it is. And you know how I know that? Because a lot of the time, the creative director is somebody who is a senior designer. And where. On Earth, do you see senior designers being actively trained in a core product management skill set? I've never seen that. Like, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I've seen some great senior designers who became or were Epic product leaders, but but they but these are isolated incidences.
0: Yes. Yeah. And and I think it doesn't matter where it comes from. And again, that's where that partner, the people who say like we partnered well. Yeah, probably somebody picked up the product thinking burden, the product leadership role and did some of the prioritization and reintegrated what we're learning back into the vision and all those sorts of things. One of the anti-patterns that can emerge that I think you and I have both observed is the creative director speaks almost entirely to designers and interacts with the design discipline and is thinking about, okay, I'm going to give this design problem to this designer. I'm going to give this design problem to this designer. And they know what all the design problems are or they think they do. Um, and they're handing them out to all the designers. And, and then how
1: do the pieces of the game fit together and
0: what's the it's, narrative? It's all what's handled the inside of this, inside of this yeah. creative side. Yeah. And the partnership with the operational side is actually lacking. They view their role almost as like a game-oriented discipline leader, as opposed to the person who's making sure that the game serves the audience that we're trying to serve and and sort of creates the wonderful experience we're trying to create.
1: Like one of the most common pieces of feedback we get from creative directors at studios we've worked with is production isn't executing well enough or the teams are not moving fast enough. Like I've been clear about what I want. The picture is painted, the beautiful mural exists. Why can't people just execute it?
0: Yep. And then and then by the way there's something else that happens on the The executive producer side, which is the executive producer starts doing the same thing or perhaps did this first and they're going, well, I'm the person who makes sure that the roadmaps and the risks and the timelines and the milestones are all hit and we get the right things done at the right time. And I work entirely through my producers to make sure that happens. And so I'm just talking to producers and I'm telling them blah, blah, blah. And the reality is that when this bifurcation emerges, it often goes all the way up and down the company because the way that those, that your leaders at the most senior layer interact with each other is going to be copied and modeled all the way through your organization. And so if you as the designer only interact with designers and you're sort of either suspicious or pointing fingers at production, expect every single one of your designers to primarily want to work with other designers and point fingers at production. And you'll probably create the counter force on the producer side. And if you start doing that on the producer side first, where all you're doing on the producer side is you'll, you know, you show up and you're like, okay, well, tell me what you need to build. And then I can get everybody to build it. Cause that's what I do. I make sure like, again, I project manage things that you need done. And whenever I don't get a clear vision, I point fingers at the designers. And now you're going to have this sort of adversarial relationship that is incredibly common in our industry between production and design because they've both sort of retreated into their own expertise not fully acknowledging that to make a great game we need both of these things and we need them working in harmony and so instead if you're in this sort of two leader model that we that we've been talking about you have to recognize that your primary compatriot your primary teammate on this journey is not the discipline beneath you but the producer across from you or the designer or creative director across from you
1: i'm going to avoid um, attaching this in any way to a well-known uh, development framework as <laughs> to test to, to not trigger people uh, but the is the idea of like don't view this as the quarterback throwing the ball once and for all to uh down the field for somebody else to catch and then maybe run with maybe not maybe drop it whatever this is more like rugby where like imagine that the ball gets pitched back and forth as both parties run down the field in unison and that the ball becomes a little more rich like if the ball is the product every single time you pass it back and forth it like it gets a little bit better like that, that process of moving it back and forth is actually what enriches it. And that's that's one of the things we're trying to – that's a very philosophical concept, so you'll have to forgive us. But um, it's actually really important because that's what we're talking about when a developer starts working on a feature and goes, oh, I learned something about the scope of this or I learned something about uh, – Uh, a delighter feature that we can throw in here at the last minute that we didn't think we were going to get to or whatever. And then that's where I want that creative director back in there to help make that decision on what to do next.
0: One of the big things that I've seen work well and that I actually advocate um, because we haven't quite talked about all the sort of reverse engineering of the responsibilities and then create the roles. But one of the simple one is, Hey, if I have a creative director and they're doing traditional creative direction. And I have, you know, whatever that means in game dev, to your point, there's a million different takes on that. And then I have an executive producer who's doing more the operational side of things. I think whatever you call those two, there's also this third set of responsibilities. That's the product management stuff. And it's this Constantly updating on, okay, who's our audience? What's the goal of the game? And how does that relate to us being successful? And what are we learning about it? And how are we reintegrating that? And what's actually important to do? Don't just list out, here's all the features we need to have a game, but like which ones are most important, not features, but experiences. And now how do we make sure that those experiences are being built and tested the ones that are more important are being built and tested first, uh, and and in some sort of order that we think is going to be valuable. Again, you could do that. You could you could tack that onto the executive producer role. I think more commonly you see that tacked onto the creative uh, director role. I actually think that often there's value in having a third role at that leadership layer, and it is somebody who's who's in this spot because that is its own role, and that allows the creative director to focus more on the design aspects of like, what is the game? There's one more
1: piece of this, like one more ball that gets dropped that I want to talk about, which is the idea of what I call scope negotiation. One of the things that is like a pet peeve of mine in game development is when scope is treated as like a one and done, like, like this handed off thing. And like when I, I one of the things I know uh, or I, is a strong indicator for me of a very mature team is when like a creative director or a product owner or whoever is doing that stuff comes in and sits down with the team and is like, okay, we're going to make this feature. And then the team immediately starts sort of digesting the reality of what that means. And then they go, well, what if we actually just did this work and we could get that value? And then the creative director goes, wait, so you're telling me we wouldn't get those two things though, right? Yeah, but it would only take us a week. And the creative director goes, oh man, okay. Okay, yeah, actually, okay, I'll trade those two things off because then we can knock that out, we can get that value, then we can move to the next. And there's this, again, there's this negotiation of scope, which to me is the right way to handle scope. Because the, the 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 horrible scenario is the one Ben and I often see when we consult with studios, which is at some point six months ago, the creative director like mapped out this feature or features and they handed it off to some team in Timbuktu and they've just been chewing on this thing for months long past the point where they even forgot like why the hell they're doing it the priority already changed four times their feature is not even going to get into the beta build anymore and at the same time strategically the organization is going like ah oh, we don't have enough people how are we going to get all this work done and then you go talk to that team and they're like yeah we don't know why we're working on this. Like, it doesn't seem to actually be part of the core game loop anymore. Like, that's the opposite of negotiated scope, right? And so this – but but again, what does that imply, right? That implies that the creative director can't just be designing with the design team all day. They have to be, like, out there with the teams, keeping their, their, their finger on the pulse. And that's a beautiful thing. And and if in that negotiation process through which scope is refined, and again, of course the producer would be heavily involved in this conversation as well in making trade-offs and managing risk from, from a technical perspective or product perspective as well. But like the, the value perspective with the scope negotiation is the most important part. How do you get the most value for the least amount of work? There's nothing more important across the entire creative spectrum than that one question in
0: my view. If I were to make a a devil's advocate argument against your stance, it would be to say, but Aaron, you've picked this crappy straw man version of the CDEP role or a combination of roles, and now you're sort of like beating that straw man to death. And I think I would counter that argument, uh, so I'm not really playing devil's advocate because I'm countering my own devil's advocate position, uh, by immediately saying, that's because I see it everywhere. Yeah. It's not so I, I, so whatever yeah. you you might be totally correct. I'm not correct. trying
1: to tell you that being a having a creative director and an EP is bad. I'm I'm trying to tell you that there's a good chance that some things have fallen through the cracks that are really important. And and just check and if you're if you look at your team and you're like we've got all that locked down then I don't care if you call yourself yellow leader, blue leader, and green leader. Like, I don't care. And that's, by the way, we're going to get into that point a little bit more in a second, because that's how Ben and I view roles. Like, we don't care what you call them. We don't care how you distribute the responsibilities, as long as what's driving the, the way you organize your leadership roles is the actual need and the principles of your development approach. See, the problem I see with a lot of these models and why I, why it's relevant when I call it a legacy model is because you're coming in and you're like, well, I'm a creative director. And you're like, well, and I'm an executive producer. And then you build a team around that. And I'm like, no, the roles should be built around the needs of the team. The team should not be built around the roles. It's a very different way of thinking.
0: It's, it's almost as if there's a critique of, not even just this two-role model, but sort of where we have been in legacy games. Because I think back um, to what was what was huge way back in the day, like the Kearney method, right? And it was the, the idea of the Kearney method was you spend this time in prototyping and ideation. And then once you finish, you lock everything down and you assume that you know all your scope and then you execute. Now, this was like a step shift of progress compared to what came before it which was at the very beginning of the project before anything had even been prototyped or ideated or anything we locked down all the scope and just said go build it so this was like a meaningful step in the right direction but it was only a step and we can still end up there which is we end up with these huge scope packages that we hand to development teams and we say build me all this scope and it'll be a great game and this, by the way, is also where the tyranny of the executive producer comes in, because when the executive producer, from an organizational perspective, has greater authority, they'll be like, "Well, the most important thing is to hit all the milestones." And so, when I finish this game, I'll be able to say, "We hit all the milestones on time." It's like, "Yeah, but your game is terrible," you know. I mean, one of the one of the things I, I like to say yes, is
1: if, but, but <laughs> we did hit all. We the did hit all the milestones on time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> one of the things I like to say is if <clears> you didn't change scope and adjust things. If you just had a plan from a year ago and just executed yeah. that plan, and then shipped that thing. I almost guarantee you have a bad game. Like I can almost guarantee it. Well, you um, know,
1: what's, you know, what's frustrating too is when it comes to the crunch arguments that we have in the industry mm-hmm. right now. And like the, the myth of the dream job and the, just the crushing nature of the stresses of building Uh, games, especially triple-A games, I feel like uh, an active attention to negotiated scope and an active attention to like engaged product management early would be one of the best ways to help reduce the pressure on the back end that we often feel. I mean, I think that the reality is is you can never fully avoid that. But if there was, if you asked me like, what's one thing you could do to relieve that pressure? I would say it's those things because what you're the conversation you're having again is like what is the work that doesn't need to be done what's the work that yes. we
0: cut? how do we focus yeah. on the most valuable work why, as far why as we wait, know it in every moment
1: why wait until like late in production to start having scope cutting conversations and then you're like the frame is desperate well, if, you already,
0: if you if you mm-hmm. wait till and i think this is this is really that that biggest problem if you wait till way late in the game to have the scope Cutting conversation, I think you will probably look back and go, shoot, we could have cut a lot of things we've already built Mm -hmm. instead of cutting the thing that we now have to cut that's more important than all those things. But because we weren't thinking about this from the beginning, um, those things have already been built because we farmed them out to teams and teams started executing on them. And that I think, like, in some ways, this podcast is really an advocacy Four, how do you integrate good product right. thinking and yeah. understand the responsibilities that need to be fulfilled and then figure out how to build a leadership team that fulfills those responsibilities um, rather than sort of sitting inside of a model with a million different titles associated with it a million different uh sort of splits and shapes to all these and different like things.
1: let's be honest some assumptions for a, sure. ton, a, ton a ton of assumptions.
0: And and with really not a good look at, wait a minute. I mean, gosh, you know what? You mm-hmm. want to do something really simple, a basic thing. And you can do this at any level of an organization. If you're a producer working with a designer, or if you're a creative director of an entire project working with an executive producer, sit down for 10 seconds and go, hey, what is your? what do you think your role entails? This is what I think your role entails. What do you think my role entails? This is what I think my role entails. Hey, these are the things that fell outside of both of us that we both think are important to do. Who's and you doing could those?
1: ask you could ask the team that question too, and I guarantee oh, yeah. they'll give you some pretty good answers, and you'll yeah. find some common themes. And 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 again, that's to your point, that is the point. And and as we go into the sort of like third and final section of this here, what Ben and I are essentially recommending is and, and, you know, there's a million ways you could skin this cat, but if you're looking for something practical, one of the things we've done before that worked well was um, take a look with your team at the development process. And I mean like the, the sort of the life cycle of like a feature as it goes all the way through being built and it goes through testing and it goes on to the sort of, you know, shared Development environment, and then it goes into play test or like whatever that is for you. Look at that, and then also consider how you want that to work. Like, what are the things you want your teams focusing on? What are the principles of approach that your company has when it comes to development? How do you need to interact with other teams? What are what's your team's responsibility in the way it connects to other parts of the organization? And then look at that and ask yourself, like, what are the areas? that leaders need to cover, like the responsibilities that leaders need to cover. So, and again, you're looking through the frame of what is needed to build great products, like what, like physically build this stuff, like what's needed to get it done. And then create all the list, the huge list of responsibilities, whatever that is. Maybe it's 20 things, maybe it's 150 things. And then like Ben said, map those onto what your current roles or titles or whatever, and have a sit down with the rest of the leadership team and talk about it. Because those are the things so often we don't see happening. It's that everybody has their title and they, they, I, I mean, I've even seen it in the most simplistic terms where it's like, I'm coming as the producer, that means I do these five things, never really sat down and talked to anybody else in the leadership team, and almost immediately creates frustration and resentment between the leaders because they're stepping on each other's toes. They're telling themselves stories about how the other person's not doing what they're supposed to, even though they never actually talked about it, all this stuff. So like that roles and responsibilities conversation that is rooted in the actual needs of development is the most powerful thing that a leadership team can do. And I think your ability to partner with each other and trust each other after that conversation is going to be like a hundred X.
0: Right. Yeah. Because now suddenly you have shared expectations. By the way, one of the reasons I think you end up in that situation, uh, and we've both seen this producer walks in and is like, well, I'm the producer. So I do these things. Doesn't talk to anybody, makes a big assumption that we all share a perspective, which again, there are, there are many different versions. I've seen producers that are primarily product thinkers. I've seen producers that are almost entirely execution. I've seen producers that fall somewhere in the middle or that are take on a more of a, um, a supportive role, like a, um, uh, like an, a, honestly, a super coordinator, an assistant almost role to the team. I've seen different models of producer from different places. And one of the th- things that justifies in the producer's mind that this is okay is, well, I'm the producer, so I'm the expert on production. So what I think a producer is, is what a producer is. And that's a mistake, right? And I think creative directors and executive producers make this mistake at the most senior levels of game development. Because they do that same thing. They walk in and they say, I know what this is. I know what my job is. Right? And I don't have the conversation. I don't level set expectations. And now people are rubbing me the wrong way and getting annoyed at what i'm doing or not doing or all these different things and if i come at that aggressively it's like well i'm the producer i know what i'm doing or like i'm the creative director i know what i'm doing this is my job it's like well that was your job but this is so varied in our industry you may need to have the conversation. Maybe, you're, maybe it'll, you'll maybe be right, and like everything that you said was your job will end up being your job. But if you haven't talked to everybody until you have that conversation, it's going to be frustrating if they're not aligned about what you're supposed to be doing. Because if, if again, if you walk into a company as a producer and you're trying to lead and bring in product thinking, and they just want you to like analyze risks and make sure the roadmap is good, you're going to start going about doing your job as you feel you best can, and annoying everybody because you're going to be asking, you're going to be like, they're going to be like, why aren't you taking care of the risks? Why aren't you taking care of the dependency map? Why aren't you taking care? And you're gonna be like, because that's not my wait. I do these things. You have to have that conversation. You have to clarify those expectations.
1: I'll be honest. I don't think out of all the projects Ben and I have ever witnessed, I would say if I look at like of all the ones that like failed catastrophically or had major, major problems, I, I, I think it's probably safe to say that the one pattern that existed on all of them was a busted leadership team. Uh, and, and, and that is so interesting to think. and then, by the way, think about your own experiences. I'd be interested to know, or to, to, for you to reflect on if that's true for you, because I think it might be, and if it is, it should sort of really help clarify how important this stuff is
0: i mean at the least i i think most people can admit that man there's a correlation there if you've got a busted leadership team that's not sharing their expectations with each other that's not talking that's not relating and so this comes back to something i already said so if one piece of advice is figure out what the responsibilities are um share that with everybody else have the conversation and sort of divide that out Second thing is make sure those expectations remain clear. If you're in a new environment and you haven't set clear expectations, don't just assume you know what your job is because you've been a creative director or a producer or whatever before. And then a third thing is when you're partnering as a leader, don't think your primary partnership is with your subordinates necessarily. Focus on your peer leaders Yes, you're, you're leading your subordinates. Yes, you're working with them a lot. You're guiding them, uh, potentially giving them direction and mentorship and support. But if you are almost always as a leader working in a leadership team, you can bring your, your perspective to all those individuals you can hear theirs and now you can collectively set the example of look at us collaboratively solving this every layer below every team below we want you also collaboratively solving this it's do not start pointing fingers at like well it's because they screwed up at least me and my designers are doing a great job every time i've heard something like that it's never been true
1: yeah and to your point it's going to be really hard to uh be an advocate for cross-functional collaboration on your team if you can't even do it amongst the leaders, right? Exactly. Thanks for joining us today. So as we finish reviewing the sort of upsides and downsides of the creative director executive production model, um, again, we want to remind you all that we're not here to sort of beat up that model. We don't want it to come off as a straw man. Uh, We have seen some consistent cracks and issues, and we want to leave you with six ways that you can battle against those, regardless of whether you decide to use the model or any number of others that are available. Number one, partnerships in leadership are critical. Like Ben was just saying, it's that trust and collaboration amongst leaders that will get you the most mileage in overcoming some of these obstacles. Number two, there is a role of product lead that needs to be filled. It doesn't matter who does it. You can decide what works for your team. Number three, Active prioritization is as important as defining value and features. Remember, once we figure out what we want to build, that's great, but we also need to constantly be asking ourselves what the most valuable thing is we can do next. Number four, scope should be a negotiation and not a one-off. It's one of the most powerful ways you can avoid crunch and increase the impact of your teams. Number five. Role clarity is one of the best ways to avoid friction between leaders. So again, use that partnership, that collaboration to sit down and have the conversation around role clarity and make sure there's not stuff falling through the cracks and make sure everyone feels good about their contribution. That is going to be a great foundation for you to lead your teams moving forward. Number six, finally work backward from your ideal development process to create your leadership roles as opposed to working forward from your titles. If you work forward from if you work forward from your titles, things are going to fall through the cracks that are really important. So make sure to think about what good looks like in development and then ask the leadership team how they can make sure that that happens.
0: Did you enjoy this content? We create a newsletter where we send actionable steps on game development directly to your inbox. We're trying to help you make a more successful game. Join game developers across the world and sign up for the Building Better Games newsletter at www.buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Again, that's www.buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Thanks for listening. Over the last few years, producers have been asking Aaron and I, what's my role? What are the skills I should develop? How do I advance in my career? Game production is in a rough state. We're launching a course to help. It's called Succeeding in Game Production, What You Aren't Taught. Early feedback from our beta testers has been overwhelmingly positive. So we're moving into early access. If that's of interest, check it out in the show notes or head to buildingbettergames.gg and click course. Thanks.